we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We go this morning to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 3. Daniel chapter number 3, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Daniel chapter number 3 and verse number 1. We'll read through verse 18. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent together together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces, <clears throat> excuse me, to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace." Therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, the people, the nations, and the languages fell down, worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth uh, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image, which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you have brought us into this assembly to hear your voice. I pray that today, by your Spirit, you would speak to us. For those who may not know you as Savior, that you would draw them to yourself. And for those who do, that you would encourage us and strengthen us to stand as the world rages in fury and in unbelief. We ask this in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray it. 
Amen. Nebuchadnezzar's plan was to bring all the people of the earth together. He brought them together for the purpose of worshiping the golden image that he created. This image, I believe, was designed to enable Nebuchadnezzar to exercise control over all who were in his dominion. In chapter 2, we have the record of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that troubled him. We mentioned that at the conclusion of last week's message. And I encourage you to read that chapter. I hope you did. If not, I want to encourage you this week to read it. But Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he couldn't remember the dream. He woke from his dream. He was greatly troubled. And he called in the Chaldeans and the magicians and astrologers that served him, and he said to them, Fellows, I've had a, a really troubling dream, and I need you to tell me what it means. And they said, Well, tell us the dream. And he said, That's the problem. I can't remember it. And uh, so they said, King, we can't tell you the dream. Nobody can tell you the dream unless you tell us, or nobody can tell you the interpretation unless you tell us the dream. And the king in his anger and in his fury, he said to them, if you are not able to tell me what I dreamed and what it means, then you're no good to me. I'm going to have all of you put to death. That's when Daniel found out there was trouble and he talked to Arioch, who was uh, one of the king's uh, chief men, and he said, tell the king I need some time. And Daniel went in with his three friends mentioned here in this third chapter. And they prayed, and God revealed to Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. And what did he see? He saw an image, an image that had a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, a midsection of brass, legs of iron, and feet of clay and iron intermingled. Daniel gave the interpretation of that dream. Beginning with the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar the kingdoms of this earth throughout history until the Lord comes. The head of gold represented Babylon and the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. The chest of silver represented Greece, or excuse me, Persia and its kingdom. The midsection of brass represented the Grecian Empire. The legs of iron represented the Roman Empire, and the feet of clay mixed with iron represent the kingdoms of the earth until this day and unto the coming of the Lord. There was a great stone that came from heaven that crushed this image and ground it to powder, and that stone is the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come in return and crush the kingdoms of this earth and establish his rule and dominion. And God revealed that in a dream to Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, through God's revelation, revealed that message to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, he decided not to honor the God who gave him the dream. He decided to honor himself, and he made an image of gold, a very large image. The Bible uses the term cubits. It's a measurement term. A cubit is about a foot and a half. So three score, meaning 60 cubits, would be about 90 feet tall. This image was 90 feet tall. And it was six cubits in breadth or about nine feet in breadth. And he put this, this image on a plane in the plains of Dura so that it could be seen from miles and miles away. And he gathered together all the officials of his kingdom and all the people who represented all the nations that he had uh, conquered. And he brought them to the plain of Dura to teach them to worship him and this new God that he had fashioned. As we learned last week in chapter number one, Nebuchadnezzar took these these. Uh, captives of, uh, of Judah and Jerusalem and brought them into his court to train them to serve him. And now he is training them to worship him. He is calling them to do something that they could not do in good conscience. And that is to bow and worship 
a false god. These were boys, these three that are mentioned here. We don't know exactly where Daniel was uh, during this time, but these three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was their Babylonian name that was given to them. These three boys were faced with an awful dilemma. Either they could bow to the gods of Nebuchadnezzar or they could refuse to bow and go into the fiery furnace. Well, they chose not to bow. In fact, it really wasn't even a difficult decision for them. They said, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Be it known unto thee, we will not serve thy gods. They refused to bow. And the king in his anger put them into the fiery furnace. Their faith was under fire. And we're living in a day when our faith is under fire. And I want to speak to you on that subject this morning. Faith under fire. Just as Nebuchadnezzar in that day sought to intimidate and coerce people and force them to worship his golden image and adopt his system that he had developed. Satan is working in our day to do the same. By the way, that has always been Satan's plan since his beginning when he rebelled against God because he desired to be worshipped and he was cast out of heaven along with a third of the angels. And from that day forward, Satan has sought for a group of people to worship him. And the Bible teaches us that as we, as we approach the end of time and the coming of the Lord, that Satan is at work to establish a system in this world and to establish a leader known in the Bible as the Antichrist and a false prophet with a false religion who will unite the world and much like Nebuchadnezzar, cause the world to bow and worship him. This is Satan's goal. And it is his goal today, and it is his goal throughout time. And we who know the Lord are experiencing in these days fire. Now, Peter warned us of this. I want you to go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? 1 Peter chapter number 4. And Peter's writing to first century believers who had been persecuted for their faith. And throughout the history of the Christian church, there have been periods of persecution. For example, the Bible that you hold in your hand, I want you to know that that is a precious gift. In the 1300s, a man named John Wycliffe determined that the English-speaking people needed a Bible that they could read. And Wycliffe took the only thing he had, which was a Latin translation, and he translated the Bible into English from the Latin language. God began to touch other people's hearts. And uh, finally, the man named John Wycliffe, who was a proficient scholar in Greek, began to take the, the Greek New Testament and translate it into English. And these men were persecuted. Uh, Wycliffe was executed because he had the audacity to publish a Bible. And you and I, now these many centuries later, have a Bible in our hands because faithful men endeavored to get it to us. And they suffered greatly. And the Bible teaches us that before the coming of the Lord, there will be more persecution. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 12, Peter again writing concerning this persecution says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you." On their part, that's the unbeliever's part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. Babylon spoke evil of the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego glorified the Lord. We see that in chapter number three. And as we live in a world that speaks evil of the Lord, of the Lord a world that hates him, as John uh, refers to in John 15, and Jesus said, if the world hate you, I want you to understand it hated me. And that's why it hates you. 
We live in a world that hates the message of the gospel and despises our Savior. And therefore, there is great hatred and enmity for his church and for all who believe the word of God. And Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We understand that we're living in a day when uh, the hostility against the Christian church and against the gospel of Christ is increasing. We live in a nation that had a Christian beginning that has turned its back on God, a nation that not only has turned its back on God and drifted away from God, but a nation whose leaders now have opposed and now openly oppose the work of God and the work of God's church. These are fiery trials that we face today. Not unlike the fiery trials that these three Hebrew boys faced. And just as they faced the flames in their day, we today face those flames that are designed to strike fear into our hearts, to consume the truth and remove it from the public arena, to somehow pretend that there is no true and living God, and to create a God made in the image of man according to man's likes and dislikes and preferences, and a fire that is designed to silence his children and intimidate us. As we note this passage, we see that this theme is so prevalent today as our faith is under fire. And I want you to notice four sources of that fire with me this morning, and I hope you'll write them down. They're the same sources of the fire that flamed in the days of these three boys. Uh, first of all, we see the fires of indoctrination. The fires of indoctrination. The Bible tells us that Nebuchadnezzar made this image of gold 90 feet tall, nine feet wide. Verse 1, he set it up in the plain of Dura. He wanted everyone to see it. And then he assembled the princes in verse 2, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In other words, he brought all the dignitaries and all the influential people and all the people with power and all the people with position. He brought them to the plain of Dura to teach them to bow to the golden image, knowing that they would take this message back home to, to the land, to the people that they represented, and they would share that message. He was seeking to indoctrinate them with new gods and new religions so that he could control them. Nebuchadnezzar trained all of his magicians and all of his astrologers and his advisors. As we mentioned in chapter 1, he sought to train Daniel and his friends, the Hebrew captives, by giving them new names, disassociating them from their relationship with their God, establishing or at least attempting to establish new relationships, uh, associating them with the gods of Babylon. He tried to teach them a new language and give them a new diet and, and, and educate them in a different way than what they had been trained and how they had been taught. And ultimately, he desired that they worship him and his false gods. By the way, this idea is alive and prevalent today in our culture and in our society. If 6,000 years of human history have shown us anything, it is that men apart from God are totally incapable of creating and, and safeguarding, perpetuating a society that is free and just. Men are incapable of such things. And the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, beware lest any man spoil you. That means carry you away. That's what the word spoil means. Just as those boys were carried captive, they were spoiled by the Babylonians. He said, beware lest any man spoil you, carry you captive through philosophy, the philosophies of this world apart from God, and vain deceit 
after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, we need to be discerning in this age when the world is seeking to indoctrinate our young people and to indoctrinate us to turn away from the truth and embrace a, a new way of thinking. By the way, the new way of thinking is never new. It's just the devil recycling his old form of rebellion. We're reminded of that group of people that Paul spoke of ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The University of Pennsylvania or Penn University, I think it is noted or called, is an Ivy League school known for its academic uh, achievements, known for its, its academic rigors. That school has just recently nominated a transgender swimmer as woman of the year. This is a man who has told everyone that he's not a man, he's a woman. And he joined the swim team and was allowed to join the swim team, the women's swim team, and compete with the girls on the swim team. And the NCCA, or the NCAA, excuse me, the NCAA allowed him to participate in the NCAA swim meet. It's hard to imagine these things are happening. Our current administration this week was blocked in court from enforcing a policy that states that all public schools have to allow those who profess to be transgender to use the bathroom of their choice, the locker room of their choice. That was a nationwide policy. We're very thankful that at least a judge had the discernment to block and stop that. But though that has been stopped, I want you to understand the effort underway will not stop. Dr. Irwin Lutzer, I referred to him last week in his book entitled, We Will Not Be Silenced, writes about the cultural Marxists who have invaded our nation it's not been a military invasion it's been an invasion of of thinking a philosophy that has been embraced on many levels of our society and has become prevalent and many in power are dedicated to this cultural marxism or as he also terms it radical secularism I want to read a, a, a little bit of a lengthy quote, so bear with me and do your best to listen. Cultural Marxists seek to capture five cultural institutions, the social, the political, educational, religious, and most importantly, family life of a nation. Standing in the way of the Marxist agenda is the nuclear family with a father, a mother, and children. I just want to say this, when Black Lives Matter as an organization was formed, in their purpose statement, they made it very clear that they opposed the Western cultural nuclear family. In other words, they opposed the traditional family, a husband and a wife and children. That doesn't sound like they're concerned about black lives. It sounds as if they have a cultural agenda, and they do, as do many others. I'm not singling them out. I'm just simply making this known to you. But while many felt like they were compelled to somehow support the Black Lives Matter organization because they did not want to be identified as insensitive or in any way racist, they, they embraced this organization despite its unbiblical values. I want you to know that racism is something that has plagued our society, our nation, and has plagued our world since the beginning of time. And the only answer to racism is not some new movement. It's the old gospel of Jesus Christ. 
when the Spirit of God comes into the heart of a man and changes him, and he learns to love the Lord and love his fellow man, he will not exercise this awful, awful plague of, of racism. Black Lives Matter addresses the problem, but it offers no solution because those who profit from its industry don't want a solution because when the solution is provided, the problem goes away. And when you live off the problem, you don't want the answer. That's why the gospel of Christ is rejected. Now let me go on to read. Marx taught that families based on natural law and Judeo-Christian values breed inequality and feed on greed and systemic oppression. So let me translate that for you. You are the problem in America if you have a family and children. Such families have to be dismantled if the Marxist version of equality is to be realized. Frederick Engels, who along with Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto, said that, mono that the monogamous nuclear family emerged only with capitalism. I thought it emerged with the Bible. Not only do I think it, it's true, right? So Engels is wrong. Prior to capitalism, he said, tribal societies were classless, meaning there weren't social classes and economic classes. Children and property were community-owned. Wrong. That's never been true. And people enjoyed sexual freedom. Marxists claimed, uh, Marxists claimed that the restrictions limiting sexual intimacy to a man-woman relationship within the marriage covenant were invented by religion to maintain the dominance of men. You hear a lot about patriarchy in this society and, and Christianity and Christians who believe the Bible are portrayed as these oppressive people. Well, they are getting this from Engels and from Marx. Belief in God in the Bible with its teachings about social institutions such as marriage is the source of multiple forms of oppression. So if you believe the Bible, you are a part of the problem. According to Marx, these clusters of oppression have to be broken up. Mothers have to leave their homes and join the workforce. Marxists believe one of the benefits of mothers joining the workforce is that their children must then attend state-sponsored daycare centers and schools where they can be taught about the errors of creationism, the church, and, of course, the Bible. Children can also be indoctrinated about the evils of capitalism and the benefits of socialism and economic equality. For this to become a reality, the education of children has to be taken out of the hands of the parents and surrendered to the state. This is their agenda. And they don't make any pretense about it. They do not try to hide it, right? When parents attend school board meetings, what happens? They're investigated by the Justice Department. They're portrayed as, as uh, terrorists. Those are terms that have been used concerning parents who have questioned school boards about the materials that their children are being taught. You see, this philosophy that was alive in Babylon is well alive in the United States of America today. And so may God help us. These fires of indoctrination are raging. There's a twisted and distorted interpretation of the provision of the separation of church and state, which is really not even called that. It's an invented concept by people who want to remove the church from the public arena. Our founding fathers came from a land where the, the government tried to control the church. The provision that is in the Constitution is to protect the church from the state, not the state from the church. This is the most misused and abused aspect of our Constitution. And though they scream it from the rooftops, it is the wrong interpretation. They repudiate the Bible. 
They teach the acceptance of evolution and that there is no God. They promote sexual promiscuity, abortion, homosexuality, gay marriage, the transgender movement, and who knows what's next. They indoctrinate our children with critical race theory, which again exploits a problem but provides no cure. They seek to revise the history of our nation and discredit our founding fathers and therefore change the course of the future of this nation. There's anarchy in our streets. There is the acceptance of widespread crime and the most ridiculous notion of all to defund the police. This idea that the earth is going to have to be saved by politicians who limit farmers and tax farmers for how many cows they have. I kid you not, because the cow belches and destroys the environment. These people who have adopted this kind of thinking quite frankly, have lost their minds. I said to you last week, I can assure you that we've got at least 1,007 plus years of life left on this earth. Now, you and I won't live that long, but this earth will not be destroyed by the environmental concerns that people are so worried about it will be destroyed by the lord jesus christ after the thousand year reign and he'll create a new heaven and a new earth just like he created the old heaven and the old earth with the word of his power so relax well, what do you want to do pastor you want us to pollute no i don't want you to do that but I don't want you to believe lies either. The fires of indoctrination. And do you know who they're targeting? This group right in front of me. They don't want them to believe the Bible. They don't want them to take a stand for Jesus Christ. They don't want them to put their hope in him. They don't want them to have a, 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 a life that God designed of marriage and a union between a man and a woman till death do them part and to bring up their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They don't want a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. They certainly don't want somebody like me telling them what God has said in the, his word. They want to remove it all. The fires of indoctrination. Well, then secondly, there's the fires of intimidation. Nebuchadnezzar brought this group together, and he brought in all of these important people. And he created this meeting. And he said, when you hear the music, bow down and worship. So all of these influential people were brought in to intimidate. If they're going to do it, well, then i got to do it. If the mob is going to do it, if the masses are going to believe in this, then i got to get on board. Something must be wrong with me. And so he created this meeting where this mob decides at the, at the sound of the music, they're going to bow and worship this image, and you better not be the one who doesn't bow, because if you do not bow, you are going to burn in the fiery furnace. This is nothing less than intimidation. The meeting, the messenger who heralded it. By the way, let me say this to you. We have many messengers who herald this false religion today. They're on your television. They call themselves news networks. They are purveyors of a false message, of a false God, and a false religion. The secular educationists 
educational leaders who, who sit in their ivory towers and, and who begin to tell our kids that the Bible is not true and can't be trusted and that our history is tainted and, and, and our nation is evil. Those people who have created something after their own imagination, who follow people like Marx and Engels, are teaching our children, seeking to intimidate them. The entertainers, the social media influencers, all falling in line with this error, this false uh, teaching of Satan. And there was the music. When you hear all kinds of music, you fall down and you worship the image, and then there was the mandate, bow or burn. We live in a world where the cancel culture has become a new phenomenon. Never heard of such a term, cancel culture. But it exists today. And what does it mean? It means this. If you dare get out of line with the new philosophy and thinking of this world, if you say something they don't like, they will come after you. They will discredit you. They will attack you. And they will cancel you. Many entertainers have found themselves as victims of this cancel culture. Many, many... Uh, political leaders have found themselves as victims of this cancel culture. The fires of intimidation. Well, let me give you the third source. The fires of incrimination. Now, when these boys didn't bow, there were some guys who came forward. These were the Chaldeans. Look in verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. And they, they said to the king, O king, live forever. Thou hast made a decree when the music is played. Bow and worship the image, and if you don't, you're going into the fiery furnace. Look at verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You see, these Chaldeans didn't like the fact that these Jews were set over the affairs of the kingdom. They didn't like it. They coveted their position. They wanted their power. They wanted their influence. They were looking for any opportunity they could find to get rid of these three boys and insert themselves as the leaders. By the way, that's the spirit of the devil, is it not? These men, O king, have not regarded thee they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. These boys aren't in line. They're not doing what you said. They're, they're these old-fashioned uh, old Bible-believing Jewish boys. Uh, you need to get rid of them. You need to throw them in the fiery furnace. You see, these boys were incriminated. Now, Isaiah warns us in any culture of those who incriminate the just. This is what he said in Isaiah 5 and verse 20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Years ago when the marriage amendment was on the ballot here in North Carolina, a pastor sent a letter. He called himself a pastor, and he used biblical terminology and language. And in that letter, he wrote very uh, poetically that if you opposed gay marriage, that you were the problem and you didn't have the right spirit, you didn't have the spirit of Jesus. You see, this is what the world does in its rejection of God. It calls that which is evil good and that which is good evil. And we're living in such a world. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We live in a world that glorifies sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion, violence, crime, greed, and strife. And the same people who promote that then turns and condemns the people who participate in those things. Hollywood has made movies for years that glorify immorality and wickedness. And out of Hollywood comes the Me Too movement, which condemns the very message they've sent for years. It's hypocrisy. 
They glorify sin and they accuse the sinner. There is no mercy in the cancel culture, by the way. The only mercy you will find in this world can only be found in one place. That is at the feet of Jesus. Let me quote Lutzer one more time. I quoted this last week. I want to repeat it. Secularists are not content to live and let live. They're not satisfied with pluralism and the exchange of ideas. They seek not just to be equal, but to dominate. Their goal is the total capitulation of the culture to their point of view. Dissenting voices are shamed into either submission or silence. So who are the false prophets of this rebellion against God? Well, it's our secular education leaders, as I mentioned a moment ago, journalists, who are not journalists, business leaders, cultural elites, politicians, and entertainers. Bible-believing Christians today are vilified with terms such as the radical right, nationalists, patriarchal, oppressive, discriminatory, uneducated. In a, in, since 2020, several articles have come out attacking Christian schools and the beliefs that we have. For example, let me just give you a few of the titles. I, don't, I can't read anything as far as in-depth concerning what, uh, what is written, but just let me give you the titles, and I, I think it sends the message. That's what the book title is for, to send the message, or the article title is to do. For example, Kathleen Wellman wrote a book, Hijacking History, how did Christian right, how the Christian right teaches history and why it matters? So in other words, the Christian right has hijacked history. The right wing U.S. textbooks that teach slavery as black immigration. The Guardian analysis finds that private schools, especially Christian schools, use textbooks that tell of a version of history that is racially biased and inaccurate. This was published in the Guardian magazine August of 2021. Another article published in the Washington Post, September 24, 2020. Here's the title. Some textbooks still parrot Donald Trump's skewed version of U.S. history. COVID-19 might make the situation worse. Let me give you another one. These textbooks in thousands of K-12 schools echo Trump's talking points. They're religion-centered, anti-democrat, anti-science, anti-multicultural message mirrors the Christian nationalism seen at the U.S. Capitol riot by Rebecca Klein, January 15, 2021, the Huffington Post. In other words, Becca Books was not established and didn't publish any curriculum until Donald Trump came along. This is the most dishonest lie you'll ever read. Christians do not follow Donald Trump. We follow Jesus Christ. I've never been a follower of Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a businessman who became a political figure. His immorality is well documented, and you don't have to look far to find that out. Donald Trump is not my Savior. Jesus Christ is my Savior. In the points where Donald Trump may agree with what I believe, then I can find agreement with him. But I'm not following Donald Trump, and I'm not teaching my children Donald Trump talking points. We're not parroting anything that Donald Trump has ever said. We are obeying the Word of God and teaching the truth of God's Word to our children. And for that, we will never apologize. Amen. But if they can brand you a certain way and silence you and intimidate you, that is exactly what they're seeking to do. Laws and policies are being instituted in our land to force Christian colleges and Christian schools to hire people who violate Scripture, to force us to accept students who want nothing to do with Jesus and the Word of God just simply to make a political point. When an individual or an institution stands against these lies and stands for truth, they're immediately condemned. 
In today's court of public opinion, cases are tried and decisions are rendered in social media and by irresponsible journalists who never let the facts get in the way of their agendas. I just gave you three or four examples of that, did I not? Gone are the days when the accused is considered innocent until proven guilty. Today, the accused are immediately declared guilty with no hope of being proven innocent. Our children are being taught that what they believe is the source of oppression in this land. And may God help us to teach them to stand. Well, I know it's a little late, but let me give you one more fire. And I'm done. The fires of interrogation. These boys didn't bow. And the Chaldeans said, King, did you see these boys that you made rulers? They didn't bow. And so the king gathered them. He called them together. Look at verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Have you noticed how angry the world has gotten? How angry our nation has gotten? Just a few weeks ago, the, the mayor of the city of Chicago admonished people to get to the streets and let their voices be known because they didn't support the Supreme Court decision of overturning Roe versus Wade. Many other of our political leaders have, have encouraged the same thing. In fact, their mob is following the Supreme Court justice to the steakhouse to disrupt his meal. And they promote this on Twitter. Twitter that silences any dissenting voices who believe any reasonable position uh, also allows for the advocacy of violence and protest in people's private lives. We live in an angry world. And when you don't get in line with the world and Satan's agenda, you're going to experience his wrath. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 13, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true? Can you hear it in his voice? Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, do not serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up. Is it true? He's interrogating them. We see his anger, but then we see his arrogance. Look at verse 15. Now if you be ready, now that you boys realize how serious I am about this. If you be ready, at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Your God is nothing. That's what he's saying. He can't help you in the fiery furnace. So you better bow. What is the message of this world today? Do you dare? Do you dare hold on to that old biblical viewpoint? That old narrow-minded way? Do you still want to live a life that's restricted by all those things in the Bible and that are oppressive to other people. I saw a banner the other day, save trans lives. The message is clear. If you speak out against the transgender movement, then you are going to cause people to die. In fact, a professor at the University of California told one of our senators, just asking the question promotes violence against the transgender community. That happened this week. Let me tell you what's more important than saving trans lives, and I have no desire to destroy any of them. Saving trans souls. And the only way that's going to happen is if the gospel of Christ is preached to a lost and dying world. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are not here to bow. We're here to honor him and stand. And I'm praying that God will help us to stand. You say, Pastor, what do we do with this sermon? Well, those of us who've read the remainder of the story in Daniel 3, we know how it ends. The boys go into the fire, but they don't burn up. 
Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fire and he says, didn't we cast three men into the fire? I see a fourth. And his image is like the son of God. You know what that means? That means Jesus was in the fire with them. We may go through the fire, but Christ will go through it with us. And the fire did them no harm. The only thing that was burnt in that fire were the ropes that they were bound in. Read it. You'll find out. So next week, we're going to look at the remainder of the chapter, and we're going to talk about faith through the fire. But we're looking at the first part of this this morning. Our faith is under fire. So what are we going to do? Well, may God help us to stand. So how do we do that? Well, let me just share a couple of things with you, and we're done quickly. Number one, pray for strength to stand as we're pressured to bow. We need to get serious about this. That's why I've spent so much time talking to you about the furnace. We need to pray for strength to stand. We need to pray, number two, for discernment in these deceptive days. The Bible speaks of the deception in the end times that it would be so strong that if it were possible, the very elect could be deceived. I believe the Bible is telling us in the most powerful terms it can that the deception in the end days will be overwhelming. Number three, we need to pray for the rising generation. We need to pray for the children and the young people in this church. Number four, we need to develop deep convictions concerning the truth of God's word. We need to get in our Bible. We need to know what it says, and we need to hold to it, and we need to teach our children. My grandmother didn't set me down in the living room and give me a Bible lesson, but she said a lot of things I've never forgotten. A lot of things I've never forgotten. We need to talk about the Lord in our home. We need to bring our kids to church. They need to know that we love Jesus. We need to stand boldly and compassionately for Christ. You see, we're branded as purveyors of hate speech. We don't hate people, not Bible-believing Christians. We don't hate homosexuals. We don't hate people who are gender-confused. But we're not going to help them by perpetuating a lie. We're only going to help them by declaring to them the truth. And then lastly, if we're going to stand, we must declare the gospel to a lost and dying world. We have a message that is tried and true. It's the only hope of humanity, and it's the only hope for our nation. We're not looking for a political movement. We're not looking for anything but for heaven-sent revival. And may it start with us. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.